same kind of wand doing the ultrasound before, but now with a needle attached to it. So they'll go in and poke the first ovary, suck all the fluid out, count all the eggs, then go into the other ovary, do the same thing. And that is how you know your egg count. Hello, people of the interwebs, and welcome to another episode of Pussyhood, the show about discovering the new female experience and unlearning society's rules. Egg freezing is a fascinating new technology, and while it is very expensive, it's now being offered at new fertility clinics and to female employees at companies like Facebook and Google. It is something that has potentially huge advantages in giving us more control over our bodies, also for our careers and for our family planning. The first baby born from a frozen egg was in Singapore in 1986, so this technology is so recent that we can't learn about it from our mothers. And so I decided to invite in Valerie Landis, founder of Eggology Club and Experience, to come and tell us more. Valerie has had her eggs frozen three times, and she's been working in women's health for over a decade. She's currently creating a documentary called This Is Egg Freezing, which I will definitely share with you when it comes out. Her platforms focus on guiding women of any reproductive age through the process of getting their eggs frozen. To give you an idea of how expensive it is, if you went to the Kind Body Fertility Clinic in New York and froze your eggs for 15 years, it would cost you about $21,000, though many parts of these procedures can be covered if you have insurance. That includes the blood work, fertility medicine shots for two weeks, the extraction process, and also storing your eggs. And if you then wanted to thaw your eggs, mix them with sperm and get them implanted, that's another $7,000. So overall, it would cost you about $28,000 to have a chance of becoming pregnant. Hopefully, as the technology improves, these costs will continue to come down. But if it's so expensive, then why are people freezing their eggs? What is the experience like? And how would you feel, maybe, about donating your eggs? I asked Valerie all of these questions, and her answers blew my mind. And so here is Valerie and I really hope you enjoy the show. Hi everyone, thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Pussyhood. Today I'll be interviewing Valerie Landis, who is an expert. Egg freezing is something that's come into our consciousness a lot in the last 10 years. A lot of the technologies have made it possible for us to play around with our fertility and think about how we want to become parents. Can we help other people become parents? There's like so much to explore. So Valerie, thank you for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is great. I'm sure you've told the story a million times, but would you care to tell us how you first got interested in the concept of egg freezing or cryopreservation, which just sounds like a crazy science fiction word. Yeah, there's a lot of different definitions and explanations for egg freezing or cryopreservation. But I got into egg freezing when I was actually in college. I started working in healthcare and that launched me into a career in women's health. So I sold birth control for a good chunk of time, then went into fertility and medical devices within the space and essentially... I was selling technology that would help the cryopreservation of egg freezing or embryo freezing in the fertility space. And going through like all of that in my work career, let me say, oh, okay, um, this is something I would want to embark on personally. And so after a failed relationship um, ended in my late 20s, I said, boy, this is something I should take advantage of. So I decided to freeze my eggs at 33 years old for the first time. 
I froze a couple of times, but um, when I was 33 years old, I froze my eggs and went through and undergrowth the process myself, which was really kind of interesting because when you're selling it and you're on the medical side of things and then you switch and you become the patient, you see a lot of a different um, perspective than you would normally. I felt really comfortable with like my clinic, my staff. And so I knew that I wanted to do this. Well, then after I froze my eggs the first time, I kind of got addicted to it. I don't want to say that. Like, <laughs> I got obsessed about the number of eggs because it's all an egg math game. And then I was like, well, you know, my life really didn't change two years later. I should probably do this again. And then I did it again. And two years after that, you know, I was still in the same boat. And I thought, well, just to give myself the best odds possible, I'm going to freeze one more time. And that third time I filmed it and I recorded it because I thought, well, you know, people should be able to see this in such a, a different way to really understand if it's right for them. Because, you know, I talk to women all over the globe and everybody has a different reason for freezing. And I just want to help get to that, you know, understanding maybe faster um, because there's a lot of fear and doubt and you don't quite know, do I need this? It's kind of expensive. And why would you want to take advantage of it and understanding all the all the benefits? Yeah, so you've mentioned that you did it a couple of times, which I think is really fascinating. And so what are the different reasons why you did it each time, do you think? Yeah, the first time I did it because I just knew the advantages. Which are? Yeah, like my, I was really focused on my career and I didn't have time to date and I didn't really want to put energy into that. The second time, you know, I had just bought a new apartment and I was remodeling it and I was thinking, gosh, you know, this is going to be more time out of my schedule that I can't focus on dating right now. And then the third time I'm like, well, I think I got a little bit older and things still haven't changed. I should do this just for a pure practical standpoint that this is probably the best eggs of my yield, you know, so far. And then that will eventually help be able to extend my biological clock. Yeah. So is the idea that once you freeze your eggs, they'll depreciate basically, and some of them will die over time? Or is it just if you have more eggs in different pots, literal baskets, <laughs> then you'll be then in case, you know, one clinic or something misplaces them or has a problem, then you'll definitely have some. Well, that's a good that's a good point you bring up. Um, I mean, I did freeze with three different clinics, which may be unusual. Some people may use the same clinic, um, but I did diversify and risk stratify basically all of each of my freezes. So it was thirty three the first time, thirty five the second time, and thirty six, almost thirty seven the third time. Three different clinics. It was interesting to see their take on my fertility each time. You know, like I had a more progressive doctor that like stimulated me different one time versus another time. There were there were some definite fluctuations with the experience itself. And that it goes to show that it does matter who your doctor is. It does matter where you store them. But normally clinics don't just lose eggs or lose, you know, DNA material. So you shouldn't have to worry about that. But what I did learn about the process is how to streamline all of the costs, how to ask for um, certain things during the procedure and, and uh, retrieval and, and during the med process and being your own advocate. And then also how to consolidate. So like I had eggs at three different places that could be really expensive with storage. So now I've consolidated them and I'm moving them to long-term storage and, you know, saving overall and then when I'm ready to use them someday, they can get shipped to wherever I live. Right. And so 
With companies, though, a lot more companies are offering these kinds of like egg freezing or IVF, you know, services. I think I've heard of like Carrot and Progeny. Like, are those the ones that you would recommend if you can get it through your company? And if not, are you stuck just like paying for it out of pocket in the US and like ruining your finances? I advocate for women to actually go to their individual HR departments and tell them that this is something that they want in their company benefits. Like for example, Facebook, the reason Facebook offered $20,000 for egg freezing for its Facebook employees is literally because someone came and said, I have cancer. I need to go get this procedure done and it's not covered. And it'd be really nice if it was covered. And then they started looking into it and they changed. Now, obviously Facebook is a huge company, but they changed their whole portfolio plan on the company benefits due to that one person speaking up. You know, there's lots of companies that have like really neat perks, like maybe they have dog grooming services that come into the office or they have lunch or they have beanbag chairs and <laughs> fun things. But maybe that's not what you care about. And if it's not what you care about, if you don't voice it, then no one will ever know that that's something that, that should be offered. Um, there's a list on my experience.com website of all the workplaces that have fertility focused benefits. But yeah, there are third party companies that um, help the employers offer benefits because they don't maybe know how to get the benefits started. There's only 12 states that offer fertility coverage of any kind. And now it's not full coverage, it might be just coverage of your meds or it might be coverage of like a procedure or a particular diagnosis, like if you have PCOS or something, that 12 states isn't all 50. And if you live in one of those states that isn't covered, then you're kind of out of luck. And so I always say, go straight to your HR department, tell them this is something you care about. And hopefully let's see change happen. Like I think the workplace is becoming more very conscious of women's needs on how to balance family life choices. And so in our benefit, you know, lucky for us, in this day and age, women are having the ability to do it all and give yourself the right chance to have kids when you're ready, when you're more fiscally prepared, when you have the right partner. Like there's a number of reasons why people freeze. And so each of those are kind of personal and independent of each other. And so everybody does something different or has different opinions. And some people don't want anything to do with it. And that's fine too. But I think the biggest thing is just to consider are you okay with the idea? There's lots of paths to parenthood. There's lots of paths to being a mom. But are you okay with not using your own DNA? Are you okay with adoption? Are you okay with um, potentially somebody else carrying a baby for you? So when you understand the whole landscape of the capabilities, then it helps you make the right decisions for you. If you're not okay with some of those things, then maybe egg freezing is really the right choice because it gives you more options. Like maybe we could talk a little bit about the timeline here and like how late can you really get pregnant naturally? How much longer for you also maybe from your personal experience has this helped you extend your fertility window? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, so, you know, the timeline, we always say people are old. It's not that you're old. It's just that your biological clock has a window. That's different from your uterus age, which we can carry a child. So when you realize that scientific difference, um, your eggs have a lifespan. And essentially from your first period to about 40-ish, early 40s, that's when your eggs are viable. Now, your uterus is still good 
beyond 40. So that's why you're hearing about women like Janet Jackson or some of these celebrities, people having children later in life or using a surrogate, for example, if they have health concerns, that's how they're having children. If you want your own DNA as part of the child's makeup, then freezing your eggs anytime in your 20s or early 30s would be most ideal. What's interesting is that most people don't even know their fertility status. And so what I always suggest is before you go do anything, go get your baseline. It's kind of like your routine pap, only you're getting your blood drawn, which measures your AMH, your anti-malarian hormone. You're getting an antrip follicle count, which is just basically a ultrasound or a wand that goes up into your vagina. And then you just check it out and you see, you know, do your follicles, are they growing normally in resting state? You count all of them. And you kind of know like, okay, on day two of your period, you were at this level and that's your baseline. And then anytime from there forward, you have a number to, re to reflect back on like, oh, okay, it's gone up, it's gone down. Now there are things you can do to protect your fertility, like not smoking. People that smoke actually ruin and damage their egg supply. So smoking is the number one thing that can actually hurt your fertility. Any kind of nicotine, any kind of smoke, weed. And so You'll want to do these like health focused things. Like everybody kind of knows what is good for you, right? If you exercise, run, have cardio, those are good things for you. Eating he healthy focused fertility foods is another. And I have a couple of blogs about that. So you don't have to research it all yourself. You could just literally see the list. For example, my last phrase, I knew it was the last time I was going to do this. And I kind of had average numbers both times. And so for my age, it was pretty average. And I just wanted to blow this cycle out, not only just on the med side, the last cycle, but I wanted to like do as much as I could personally to affect my health. And so I took fertility vitamins. I made smoothies every day. I tried to exercise and stay active. And I got a total of eggs that were viable as same as my first two cycles put together. So I really do think that makes a difference. So if you're worried about the cost or worried about how much egg freezing is going to run you, I suggest take care of your health, lower your stress, lower your anxiety, get, you know, calmness and stillness in your life and find a way to save up for it. Or maybe see if you can find an interest-free loan. There's lots of little like loan programs out there. And some of the clinics are now offering financial um, opportunities as well to help cover it or ask your HR department are things that you have in your control that you can tackle and are not that hard to do and could really benefit you in the long run. Just to tap into that. So when you say, so the egg follicles are, you know, declining basically by the time until you're 40, but then your uterus is basically healthy and can carry a child until menopause, right? Like that's the idea. And I think my mom hit menopause at like 51. I'm not exactly sure what age. So have you like now with your friends who have frozen their eggs, like, do you know plenty of women in their early or mid forties having kids for the first time? Yeah, I've actually even met women that got pregnant naturally in their 40s. So it is possible. Um, I just think that everybody's health is an individual basis on age. Asking your mom's a really good predictor. Like I grew up in a really big family. I have 51st cousins. I am the oldest of four kids. Um, oh my God, 51st like, cousins though? Like that's insane. <laughs> kids are a problem, but you never know. And if you wait too late, then the only predictor to know if you can conceive is if you try. And some people aren't always, anything can happen. I know some people that have had like six miscarriages in a row. So 
they can get pregnant, they just can't stay pregnant. Lots of things. Maybe there's genetic defects with sperm or, you know, maybe you have some predisposed genetic defects or they also have like genetic panels that you can take. So like in the very beginning, when you get your blood drawn and stuff, you can ask for a historic perspective on your risk factors for like sickle cell or any kind of diseases or down syndrome or what your risks are for a lot of those genetic defects. What's nice is when you go through IVF and fertility, which egg freezing is the first half of IVF, you know, it's the retrieval portion of retrieving the eggs. And then the final part of IVF is when you implant the embryo back into you once you create a successful embryo. But you can actually test those before you implant them. So you know the genetic likelihood that this will turn into a baby. And that's kind of nice because then you can cut down on your risk factors for, for miscarriage and some of those um, painful procedures. I remember when I was in high school, we studied like designer babies and people could choose which babies had blue eyes and which babies had... I mean, how much do you personally think about the moral of like playing God in this situation? Like maybe people are just afraid of women having these powers because then you can decide how many kids you want to have, when you want to have them, what kind of kids they're going to be. So I don't know. What are your like questions around those morals? Well, I'm a Virgo, so I end autonomy on some of those choices. But I think, you know, it's nice because then you can do really good family planning. You know, it's funny because I have a four-pound Yorkie. She's so tiny. She's a miniature teacup, right? And I'm like, no, guys, let's just go back to genetics. Her mom was, you know, five pounds. Her dad was four pounds. And that's how she got to her size. The same is true with, you know, creating a baby. You're only working with the DNA that you have the choice of. And we do that naturally. You know, even in dating, we select mates that we think would be a good parenting partner. Yeah, you're right. You're doing a lot of that self-selection already through the process. Or we don't... um we don't look at it that way when we're making those decisions. You don't attribute it to those things. I don't know. I just think it's a bit worrying for me because I think one of the main issues is around like, you know, children with disabilities. Technically, you could say, okay, you examine this embryo. I mean, also, you're assuming that it's in an embryo format. What I think is interesting about egg freezing is that it's not even conception. So like killing an egg, basically, you're not necessarily murdering an unborn baby, as like some people would say. What? most people maybe struggle with is the idea that the embryo is further along in the process that it could be a baby. Whereas if you threw the egg in someone's uterus, it's not going to be a baby unless there was sperm present. The idea that we can now in a Petri dish inject a sperm into an egg and create an embryo is pure, happened purely by accident, actually, you know, and that changed the whole game for sperm and embryos in the lab because now we we don't have to put a bunch of sperm into a petri dish and hope one of them gets to the egg, which was still better odds than doing it naturally, right? For those that were struggling with infertility. But now we can select the actual sperm that will impregnate the egg. And so, yeah, there's a lot of science and research on that that has proven that it's the same health as if it were to happen naturally, which is great. And it's totally changed the game of IVF because now it's increased the odds of it working. And for couples that are, you know, one in eight couples actually struggle with fertility. And so to be able to increase their odds and have a 40 or 50% chance of conceiving where they had maybe a 2% chance before, that definitely increases their odds. And, you know, there's been over 8 million babies born so far. The first IVF baby was born in 1978. 
Louise Brown in the UK. And so a lot has changed since that. But if you really look at it, this area of the field, this niche area of healthcare is really less than 40 years or, you know, it's 40 years old. Yeah, but I think that's what's so fascinating is you say one in eight couples has trouble conceiving. Well, what about every woman who's like working in the working world? And this is also why I'm so curious and talking to you is now I'm thinking, okay, when does I when do I actually really want to have a kid? If I want to have a kid at all, who's it going to be with? You know, how am I going to freeze the egg and like get everything together? And will I have a house? Will I have a good stable enough job? And that's the point of it really is exploring these new technologies. And the more that you as an individual understand, you know, the nature of them, and you have a good clinic that you trust and all that kind of stuff, it gives gives you a lot more power and control and you know we're all about freedom so (laughs) that's why I think it's a really cool technology yeah I know I agree with what you're saying it's it's very key that there's a lot of moving parts here and that sometimes men don't have to worry about all those moving parts kind of left on our shoulders to to figure out yeah birth control or or preventing pregnancy um now when you actually want to get pregnant there's a whole new battle that it, you have to wage and war you have to wage, right? But what's nice is that when you bring in the science aspect, you kind of can make those decisions and say, okay, I'd like a boy first, or I'd like a girl first, or I hope I have those choices for healthy embryos and healthy children. So you can kind of cut down on the time it takes to get to a live birth. And so that's another nice thing too, because now you can plan when you would want to be pregnant, hopefully, you know, within a window or what month you'd want your kid to be born, you know, you could kind of count backwards. That's the advantages and upside. Now, granted, I've been drinking the Kool-Aid, but you know, if you're only going to have maybe one or two kids, I don't see any harm in deciding, you know, boy, girl, girl, boy. Yeah. And then for the LGBTQ couples, this brings a lot of autonomy that they never had before either. If it's a, a lesbian couple, they probably had an easier time because they have eggs, which are the difficult part. Yeah. Already with a sperm source, which wouldn't be hard because there's plenty of sperm banks online. But for men, for example, that's much tougher because now they also need to find someone to carry their child. Like for example, Anderson Cooper just became a dad. I think he's like 45 or 50 something in those ranges mm. and he had to hire a surrogate to carry the child yeah oh my gosh it's crazy i had a uh, colleague that i was working with and him and his wife had i don't know if she even froze her eggs if they were even her eggs in the end but they ended up spending like over a hundred thousand dollars hiring a surrogate having ivf all of those treatments before the child was even born you know egg freezing might cost you a couple grand but it's your eggs you can have it hopefully have your own children nurtured or whatever in your own womb which would be a nice experience to have for a lot of people and yeah save yourself a lot of money i would say that egg freezing is a way to counteract what's happening so it's like preventative medicine the costs it would take if you had waited until you're 40 to seek ivf treatment because now you finally found the right partner you want to conceive with but now you're struggling to get pregnant so if you did that when you were younger you essentially saved your eggs that had a more viable chance of turning into a healthy baby in the first place. And then you get to have the child when you're ready. Yeah. And I do think it's a bummer that, you know, the burden has fallen on us for a long time. But what would it have been otherwise? Like, we have the technology, it's available. Um, well, we have birth control methods that are very effective. Okay, great. Let's get access to them. Let's use them. What's interesting is that egg freezing is now the new birth control for our time period, right? The women that were born in the 1980s or later, they have access to this technology at a much 
more convenient, higher rate, lower cost than women that were born before 1980. And so they were probably the wrong age group where the technology wasn't quite there yet. And so now we have the advantage of taking this technology and using it in a proactive way. It's hard to talk to your parents, especially if they were a baby boomer, about these topics because that wasn't their lifestyle. They got married at 20 and they had their children before they were all, you know, done having children before they were 30. So they didn't have the same challenges that we do today where we're meeting people and having short-term relationships or relationships that don't equal marriage, family, and kids. And now we're faced with the end or had a career or went to college and spent many years developing those skills where we didn't have time to fit in the, the baby. Even just reflecting back on my own life, you know, in our 20s, we were always out and drinking and partying and socializing, but that's what you did in an urban environment. You know, you met people and you were exploring and you were traveling and overseas and seeing the world. And it just, each decade of my life has kind of shifted. And then the, my 30s, I became really, really career focused. And so then that said, okay, how am I going to ever have a family someday? And then hopefully in my 40s, that family component will work itself out. But we make all these plans and then life happens. So you approach your fertility and your family planning choices like you would your 401k or just like you did in college with your planning how you were going to go through undergrad and grad school or any of those career choices, you have to do the same kind of planning for, for your family. Yeah, definitely. It's kind of freeing at the same time because it's again, it's all under your control. You know, you have autonomy over these aspects of your life. And I just think that's really great. And, you know, during your 20s, you want to have good birth control so that you don't have kids when you don't want to have kids. But then, you know, you go through the wrong person. Like maybe this isn't the person you want to have kids with. Um, so I always think, you know, if you tackle the problem head on and look at those issues and think about them so you really understand what you want, it's not, it's nothing wrong with saying what you want. You can write that down. You can say it out loud. Like, I think it's very powerful to say what you want because that might change over time. And I, I'm allowing myself the opportunity to change my mind. Maybe I won't kids ever. I don't know. It's just, I'm giving myself all the options to, that I can have instead of limiting my options and then wishing I had a different option. Yeah, it's also about planning properly. So right now I have an IUD. So if I wanted to even get my eggs frozen, I would need to get that probably taken out first. So, you know, it all comes in stages. I'll tell you a, a good news fact, actually. Um, there's been studies that have done egg freezing with an IUD in, so you don't have to have removed, which is one of the few birth controls that you can actually take while doing egg freezing. So there's a fun fact for you. What they might actually do is have you take, uh, and this is this was funny because one of the girls that I froze with on my third round, um, she had an IUD in as well. And they were like, oh, if you freeze again, what we'd like to do is actually put you on birth control pills on top of your IUD. That way we can get you to cycle on a more regular basis. And so birth control pills can actually increase your follicles so you have more produced. Yeah. You know, if your doctor says you can have birth control pills and an IUD, like, you know, doubly to not get pregnant... If your doctor says it's great, then, you know, go for it. I don't try to be a substitute for medical advice, but that is also a bummer about being a woman. It's like you have to kind of get a mini MD, study all these things yourself and like see what the clinic ratings are and blah, blah, blah. Because at the end of the day, this doctor's going to be sticking like a swab or whatever up your vagina and you've got to make sure that you trust them <laughs> to do that properly. Yeah, I mean, that's where becoming your own patient advocate comes into play. And it's really key and important. It's okay to ask all the questions, those key questions. And that's why I counsel a lot of women because each case is individual. They might have health issues that 
they didn't disclose. And so they're not just like a normal candidate. And each person is so unique that this really is a personal decision on all fronts. And it's not a blanket statement fits all. Go freeze your eggs. It may not be the right choice for you. Yeah. Definitely. So we missed the description of what it's like to actually get your eggs frozen. I know you've probably literally again said this a million times, but if you could describe each step. So like, what is the first step that you take? Then what happens? Then what happens? Sure. I'll run through just a quick, you know, 30,000 foot view of what egg freezing looks like. Part of this, I was filming in my documentary. This is egg freezing, which I hope will be out soon. But essentially you go to your doctor And once you've discovered a a fertility doctor that will help serve you and they'll run all the baseline tests, it's day two of your period. You'll come in, they'll do your anti follicle count, which is the ultrasound and then your AMH, which is the blood test. So how do they do, sorry, how do they do the ultrasound? Is that like a, I'm imagining they put jelly on your belly and kind of like rub around. It's actually a wand that is like, is put inside your vagina. And that's how we measure the follicles on each ovary. So the follicles are the places where the eggs would be released from if they're down the fallopian tubes. Okay. You have two ovaries and your ovaries are usually full with follicles. And then one egg that month is typically decided left or right your body will decide that month and it releases the egg to find a sperm and if there's no sperm present then it gets absorbed by the body and your cycle starts all over again and so that's the cycle of of our menses right and that's usually a 30-day cycle well when egg freezing comes into it day two we measure we say okay you're ready to go we start your meds And now you're like on day three or day four of your period and you've started your hormone. Usually you'll take birth control or some kind of stimulant in the beginning to monitor and ovulate appropriately because they might have you on a time cycle. But you'll take hormones for two weeks. And usually it's about two drugs at night the first week. And then in week two, we just want to make sure you don't ovulate. And so we have a preventative medicine that you normally take in the morning that prevents you from ovulating. So it can go up to three to four medications each day, which can be very costly and expensive. I I get it. So you're trying to stimulate the follicles and have them develop a lot of eggs, but then not actually release the eggs properly. So is this, are these like pills or are they also shots that you have to take? They're all shots. So some are pre-mixed shots that you just turn a dial and you inject yourself with. And then there are other medications that you have to pre-mix. So it's a powder, you mix it with solution and this, and the solient like water, and then you inject that solution into you. And that helps grow your follicles. Typically we'll have all these follicles available. We want to grow all of them the same size at the same rate. That's the goal. That's why it's key and a little tricky is because we want to grow all the follicles at the same rate, the same time. So we have the most mature eggs to retrieve at retrieval day. So you take those hormones for about two weeks. You go into your monitoring visits every other day, which usually includes the wand ultrasound again and blood work blood work will tell you your estrogen and progesterone levels that way we know okay the medication is working okay the follicles are growing we see them on the on the ultrasound count them we, we measure the size and when they reach over 18 millimeters then they're getting to the mature stage enough and so your doctor will say okay tonight will be your trigger shot which is a boost of extraordinary hormones that tells your body, okay, you can release them into the body now. Retrieval is 36 hours later. And that retrieval essentially pulls out all the eggs with the same kind of wand, doing the ultrasound before, but now with a needle attached to it. So they'll go in and poke the first um, ovary, 
suck all the fluid out, count all the eggs, then go into the other ovary, do the same thing. And that is how you know your egg count. Wow. What I like to tell people is that, you know, you're really not your egg count number. I broke three times and I got completely different numbers all three times. And so it's really how many eggs grow the same rate at the same time. I have had some women that I talked to and interviewed or, you know, had on the show, the Eggology Club podcast, for example, that one follicle just stole all the hormones and the other ones could grow and they had to cancel their cycle. So anything can happen um, until, you know, you see how you respond. That's why you have to go in for so many monitoring visits and make sure that everything is happening at a time basis. It's very time sensitive. When you give your shots at night, they'll give you a window like between 7 and 9 p.m. But when you take your first shot, you should take them as close to that same time period. So that way the hormone dose stays current, like it has an overlap. And the same thing with the trigger shot. The trigger shot has to be timed because we're going to do your retrieval at a particular moment in your cycle. And if it's too late afterwards, then we'll miss the eggs and they'll have gone out of the fallopian tubes and, and we'll, we won't be able to retrieve them. But then once the embryologist pluck all the eggs from that visceral fluid that was pulled out of your ovaries. They'll strip them, clean them, and usually put them in the incubator for about an hour to make sure that they're mature level two eggs. So they have to be what is called in the lab as a G2. And so they have to be at that level in order to be frozen. Otherwise, they won't make the freeze. Wow. Yeah. That is insane. And that's why professionals have to help you do this. It also costs so much. Yeah, that is a really crazy and fascinating scientific procedure. (laughs) Also, there are like millions of women. You're right, as you're saying, this is the beginning part of the IVF experience. So anyone that you've known who's trying to do IVF has gone through this as well. Yeah, a lot of the married couples have probably already experienced the first half of this. And so they can maybe somewhat relate to you if they went through IVF. Um, like for example, when I did my first shot, I was really nervous about ever shooting myself up because it's just not natural, right? And I actually went to a friend who had done IVF and she helped me mix the drugs and do all that. I mean, here I've been in medicine and fertility health for, you know, a good 10 years and I still was nervous about giving myself my own shot. So then it got easier and much more consistent when you're doing it for almost 14 days, it becomes a routine and some sort of habit. It's not bad to have a friend help you or, you know, have a theme song that helps you feel empowered. I definitely felt like this was the right choice for me. Kind of calm that panic, that that baby panic if there ever was one and just, you know, know that I'm making the right choices for myself. And it was worth it. I mean, like literally they they give you a light sedation at the time of retrieval and you don't remember any of it. That's another reason why I wanted to film it is because I was like, I don't even know what happens to me when I'm out. Yeah. It was partly, you know, a personal uh, endeavor that I really wanted to embark on. But, but also I hope to show people exactly what it looks like, exactly what egg freezing looks like. So you know, all the key components that are involved, you can go in with a clear mind of understanding Um, because it, it really is confusing until you go through the process yourself. Do you have any specific anthems, like songs that you would listen to <laughs> in your um, egg freezing I'm experiences? Huge, I'm a huge Beyonce fan and she has lots of really great music for hyping yourself up to give yourself meds. But we also have the same birthday. So I'm a little biased to Beyonce. That is, that's really amazing. Um, and so how many women would you say that you've helped like over the years in some kind of capacity? Like, are you mostly just counseling people? Are you going with people to their appointments and stuff? 
Yeah, it's interesting because it's really evolved over the last like seven years or so. I first just started helping out my individual group of friends, you know, as we came to these like pivotal decision making points, or they had a partner that they really wanted to um, conceive with, and they were struggling. Um, And then it's grown to friends of friends that needed help. And then it's grown to complete strangers all across the world. So it's hard to know how many individual women that I've counseled. But I would say that a lot of my resources are online for that purpose, um, to like clone myself, essentially. So you can, you know, experience.com, or you can read all about this, or you can listen to the podcast psychology club. And or, you know, you can watch the documentary and see it firsthand, the website and videos online that you can hear individual stories and, and reach out to those women individually, if you'd like. But yeah, I mean, the numbers just keep increasing. So I think it was back in 2012, there were under like 3,000 or 4,000 women that froze their eggs. Really? And now it's up to 18 to to 20,000 a year freeze their eggs. So you can see how much change has happened in just seven years. I imagine it's going to be much more than that, though, going forwards, because it's a topic that all young women now are going to be at least thinking about and interested in. I was talking to women that were in their later 30s, so like 38, 39, 40. And now most of my clientele and people that I talk to are 25. And that's the, that's kind of like the average age or they're asking for egg freezing as a graduation present and um, they're finding really unique ways to pay for it. And, you know, it's funny because the parents, their parents are really open to it because it's their future. <laughs> oh, my God. Parents of millennials that are asking for help. Yeah, no, that that makes sense. Yeah, that's really cool. And so, I mean, in terms of your personal experience now, are you like planning to have a kid at all in the next couple of years or you just have no idea? Well, we'll see. I don't know at this moment. I mean, uh, it's it's a possibility, sure. But I don't think that right now is the perfect time for me. Um, you know, there's a lot of things that I want to accomplish in my career yet and things I want to do personally and travel um, before I settle down and have a kid, per se. But I love children and I, you know, my brother and his wife are on baby number two. And, I and cute pictures all the time. Yeah, there's kids in my life. I've got kids that are reaching a really fun age. And, um, and so I feel really fulfilled in that aspect. I think it all comes down to the finding the right partner and making sure that you have a kid with the with the person that you want to parent with but for me that is the defining factor so hopefully that will transpire in the next couple of years but you know I can be very optimistic and calm about the whole procedure and idea because I know I have these 60 eggs in the freezer yeah you know? and I have choices at my mm-hmm. disposal that have been very hindsight of me to to create and do you personally have any reservations about having kids later you know like my youngest sister my mom was older when she was in preschool and those different phases of life on the playground you know and I don't know does that ever cross your mind or not you know I I feel like age is just a number and it's really how you feel but I realize yeah there is some ageism that's happening right the older moms although I've seen lots of examples where older moms have really thrived and have really great kid environments for their children because they waited later in life plus they have tons of more earning power at their disposal and they were able to earn so much more money than the younger moms I want to be prepared bringing a child is very conscious into this world and I think that I want to do it on purpose I don't want it to ever happen by accident 
I think that's also what people need to remember, whether it's using birth control or, or doing egg freezing. When you're critiquing women for like being free and making the, their own decisions, it's like, no, we're doing the best that we can. We are making conscious decisions to have the best, healthiest offspring we want to. I was laughing a lot when you were mentioning about people's parents paying for their egg freezing because you are really cognizant of your family's needs. It's not like you're just walking around with a basket of eggs in your uterus, being reckless and everything. It's like, no, you're, as a woman, that, that is always in your consciousness at some level so i think people need to also trust women to be able to make those decisions this is a shift in control of the family dynamic right we're not necessarily having kids with the wrong person or maybe older women decided to have a baby on their own and there's nothing wrong with that but if you consciously know you have that area of your life taken care of then maybe you'll make different dating choices and time won't get wasted with the wrong person because you think that's You'd have to start over if that's the case, you know, and how much more healthy decisions could be made. Oh, yeah. As you're saying, you're 32 and you're dating the wrong person rather than thinking, oh, I have to get married to this person and have a kid with them. No, you go to a clinic, you get your eggs frozen and then you wait until you're ready to be impregnated by the person that you want to. I just think it brings a lot of freedom on so many different fronts, but it's really an individual personal decision. For me personally, I knew it was the right one. And I've been very fortunate that I... I have been able to afford it and take advantage of a technology that was out at the time because it wasn't popular to do. In fact, a lot of women were really ashamed that they had to freeze their eggs. And now it's more of an empowering choice. And so I want to just, you know, shift that narrative for people to understand that this can be something great for themselves and where there's a will, there's a way and you can find a way to do this. And I'm here to help with that. My main question, okay, so this is the deal. Do you have any tips on avoiding a lot of the downsides? Like, you know, for example, a woman contacted me from South Africa and I was like reading about different experiences of women internationally and there are services that can you can kind of get transported and then get your eggs harvested and get paid for them. Um, and I just want to like alert people to some of the risks, not just the risks, but also like the dangers of people who might be more exploitative. And yeah. What's interesting is that with egg freezing, you can also be an egg donor. And this is a topic that's not talked about very often is that sometimes when women get pregnant and they are older, let's say like 50 or 45, it's a good chance that maybe if they didn't freeze their eggs, they're using an egg donor. And that's not talked about very commonly. Like, for example, you know, Janet Jackson, the likelihood that that's her egg is pretty low. She was of an age that the egg freezing wasn't really good at that time. So it's highly unlikely that wasn't her egg. Now, because she carried the child, no one ever really debates that being a donor egg, whereas donor sperm is much more common and often used and, once again, not really talked about because... You know, if, if a couple is raising the child together, you just assume it's their two DNA. But it's very possible that a donor could be used in that aspect. And so sometimes young women are actually preyed upon, um, especially in the college atmosphere, to freeze their eggs for needy couples or a family that need that DNA. And oftentimes there's not a lot of advantages for the egg freezer um, unless they negotiate those up front. So like saving half their eggs of that lot for mm -hmm. themselves. Yeah. Otherwise, all the DNA that they collect from that freeze will be owned by the agency. And so if you're hearing a $10,000 price tag, you know, that you're getting paid to get your eggs frozen 
and donate them to someone else, just know that that means you could have unlimited amount of children out there that resulted in live births that you'll never know. Your DNA is live out there and, and you potentially, any children you have, could be half siblings to those individuals. And so you have to understand all those moral dilemmas, those those feelings behind that. You know that there's a child of your DNA out there running around. Is that, are you okay with that? And so oftentimes there's this really great doctor actually in California named Dr. Amy, and she has this like freeze and share program. You're the potential egg donor. And she finds the family that wants your egg. The cycle gets frozen for yourself and it's covered by the couple. Um, but then the couple gets the other portion of the eggs to make it a child with. So there's concepts out there that can help, but um, there's a lot of moral dilemmas uh, dealing with egg donors. I think it's one of those things, I, I was thinking about this before talking to you, and, well, maybe my gay best friends need an egg donor. Like, or, you know, if my siblings came up to me and they said, hey, we actually really can't conceive, and, like, then I think for family I would definitely think about doing it. Yeah, but, I'm yeah. actually on my site uh, where... Um, this girl, she froze her eggs and also gave her eggs as an egg donor to her sister who, for whatever reason, had um, some genetic defects that couldn't conceive. So she is now an aunt to her own biological child, but her sister's husband and DNA. She carried the child, luckily, fine. She just couldn't you know, create the eggs that she needed to conceive. And so there's lots of stories out there like that. Um, I guess, you know, what I'm really suggesting is just understanding what this all means and the difference between DNA and carrying a child and conceiving those type of things, understanding all that. And having those having those conversations with yourself and saying, in which situations would I be comfortable doing this? In which situations would I not be? How secret do you want to be? Because now we live in a day and age where 23andMe tests are everywhere. So if you think you're donating anonymously, think again, because now there's facial recognition and all kinds of things that, you know, you might want to consider how those conversations will go in the future with maybe a future partner or a future family if you make these choices now. And I mean, do you think women have more of a biological attachment to their children than men? Or is that just because like egg donation hasn't been as available in the market and stuff for as long as sperm banks have? I think every individual is different, but I think there's definitely something to the biological aspect of carrying a child for nine months that creates a bond that the male just doesn't have because they're not doing that. But I, I don't know. I mean, I've also known men who were very family oriented and really wanted their own biological child. And that was really important to them. So I see both sides of the coin. I think, I think the individual, I don't think it's a sex thing. I think really just how you were raised, what your goals are, what, how you foresaw your life transforming and, you know, looking like in a bigger aspect. And you're also potentially getting paid a lot of money as well to do it, which is kind of an interesting situation. But, you know, again, it's you, you could gain money through having a normal job or you could gain money from, you know, having to inject yourself with hormones for yeah. an egg donation that you might not even get your own eggs from. So it's not yeah. just a painless. Yeah. Um, just read the fine print is all is my biggest cautionary tale is that if you're embarking on any kind of donation process, know what your rights are and, you know, seek a legal opinion. And, and also, if you don't like something that's in the contract, negotiate it. Exactly. So could you tell me a bit more about the documentary that you're making or that, you're, that you've made already? 
Yeah, so basically it's a bunch of videos that I've been collecting over the last six years as I've been freezing and things that have been going on in my life personally that we've been collecting, filming the entire journey from start to finish of each cycle and then we'll supplement it with selfie videos and interviews and and the history and timeline of how egg freezing first started. So like, for example, egg freezing became something that was scientifically pursued because of the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church didn't like the idea of destroying embryos because that's when they determined life started. And so they said, well, we've been freezing sperm for years. Let's try to freeze the egg, which they did very unsuccessfully for many years until we got vitrification, which is the new form of freezing versus the slow freeze that have been used before because eggs are full of a lot of visceral fluid. And just like when you put water into an ice tray and then put that into the freezer, it crystallizes and has like all these tiny crystals. But if you can freeze it faster and then keep it at those temperatures, then it doesn't crystallize and break the egg. And and so, yeah, eggs are very fragile and we have to treat them as such. And so that technology was improved and just showing all of the different types of medications that you might take because these are specialty pharmacies. You can't just go to Walgreens and say, I'd like, you know, some Folistem today. And so understanding that process and then the whole diving into the cost and the real hard numbers and my tricks and tips on how to afford it. Yeah, instead of buying that really fancy car or blowing out your budget on a house you can't afford, I think that personally for me, it was worth, you know, making those financial sacrifices. I would rather protect my future. How are you going to, like, are you going to distribute it? And when's it going to come out? Yeah, so um, the COVID crisis has delayed things a bit. And um, hopefully it'll be on like Netflix and Hulu and Amazon Prime or all those um, streaming services soon. Wow. How do you just get a documentary on Netflix? That sounds kind of difficult. Well, it's been a learning journey. I'll tell you that self-taught in making websites and creating podcasts. So I figured why not film? Luckily, I had an amazing film crew that helped document the entire process. And we've just been creating it slowly and steadily. And they have key ins at the networks that do the streaming services. And once we put it all together and edit it, which what I learned in the movie documenting process is that you actually create a film three times. It's what you think you want to create, right? It's what actually happens when you film it. And then it's the editing process, how you put it together. So, so yeah, it's been quite a learning, fun, entrepreneurial-like experience. Um, and hopefully people will see it soon because I think it's very relevant topic for today and a subject that a lot of people are craving to know more about. Because it's not like we learned or we're yeah. educated in school on this kind of technology or, or your fertility timeline. Totally. Uh, we were all taught, like, how to use a condom. If that. <laughs> unfortunately, no one told you how to freeze your eggs. So, Valerie, thank you so much for coming on the show. It was really great to talk to you and to learn so much more about egg freezing, egg donation, the safety and the medical procedures behind it. It's like a fascinating topic. Yeah, fertility really is the future. So I'm glad that we had a chance to talk about it all today. Thanks for having me on the show. You're welcome. Bye. Bye. You can learn more about Valerie and egg freezing at eggsperience.com. That's E-G-G-S-P-E-R-I-E-N-C-E.com. And you can find more about them on Instagram at experience underscore. Keep in touch with us on Instagram. Our handle is pussyhood. And we would be really grateful if you could give us a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts if possible. 
and we'll be back with some more stories about Pussyhood later. Thank you so much and lots of love. Bye!